0: If you uh, were like me, you grew up uh, maybe in central Illinois. I grew up in this little farming community, uh, kind of in, in between Champaign-Decatur area called Weldon. Uh, not a lot of people live there now, and even less people, are not a lot of people li- live there then, but less people live there now. And if you were to travel around uh, central Illinois or anywhere, maybe even in the Midwest, Um, you probably driven down a country road and uh, saw a building that looked a little bit like, we have that up there, like that. You know what I'm talking about? That abandoned old farmhouse. I I love these homes. I, I love seeing these homes. Not that they're abandoned, but if I were allowed to, I would love to go inside those homes. I would love to walk around on the creaky floors and imagine the life that used to be lived inside those homes. Back in the day, I'm sure you could have opened up that medicine cabinet and found that horrible little bottle of iodine or mercuricombe. If you don't know what mercuricombe is, consider yourself blessed, okay? Um, I'm sure you would have heard the children that were living there and laughing and running around the property and with any family, I'm sure you would have heard arguments and fights and a fair amount of hair pulling and roughhousing. The old phrase, if if, uh, these walls could talk. Is especially poignant when you come across one of these old abandoned farmhouses. And imagine what that house was like. Imagine the things that that house would have seen. All of the good times and all of the bad times. And a ton of times that were just everyday normal days. Over the years, many families probably called these places home. And what happened under that roof shaped the lives of countless people and for generations to come. And the same thing is true for your house, for your family. For what happens under your roof is more important than what happens anywhere else. I would even say that what happens under the roof of your home is even more important than what happens at school or church. And the reason is, is because there are countless more hours than your kids will ever spend under their own roof than they ever will at Pekin High or Tremont Grade School or Pekin First Nazarene. See, within these walls, of the church, we nurture and we guide and we teach our, ch- our children in the ways of Jesus. Within these walls here of this church, we do our absolutely best to encourage your child to follow Jesus for the rest of their life. So what about your walls? What about your home? If your walls could talk, what would they say? The home is a place of the greatest influence It has the greatest impact potential for a child beyond school and even beyond church. See, what happens within the walls of your home is is more important, I believe, than anywhere else. Anywhere else. And so we need to spend this month, and we're going to spend an entire month here talking about the family and what God's design is for the family or the family home. And so today we're going to talk about this foundation of what a family is or what a family could be or the potential of that family. I know that we have different kinds of families here. Uh, We have the traditional family unit, mom and dad and, and the kids. Within this church, we have single parents and we have other grandparents that are raising their kids. We even have people here that are raising somebody else's kids represented here. And so, we're going to spend some time together looking at the family. God's chosen design to raise his kids within. See, God is the creator of many things and perhaps one of the most powerful things, if not the most powerful thing that God has ever created is the family. And even if you think, well, I don't have kids, so this is just my excuse. I don't have to be here the next three (laughs) weeks. That's no, no, because God has all designed us as part of the family of God as well. And we are all brothers and sisters together. So God's design for the family carries over to us here at PFN. We are part of the family. We are all in partnership with one another to help raise our kids. We're all one big family. Now, there's some, there's some that are a little stranger than others. Don't look around. Don't, don't look at that person. But, uh, see, society today is trying to tell us that a family has become ir- irrelevant, I don't believe that for a second. Do you? The family is far from whatever definition our society has decided uh, to place upon it. If you would turn on the television and watch any sort of TV, especially a sitcom now, you would see that the family has now become irrelevant. It has become unnecessary. The family is outdated. A thing in the past Rarely will you ever see that traditional nuclear family represented on television. But no matter uh, what your family looks like, your family might still look a whole lot like Warden Beverly Cleaver's house. Your house might look a whole lot more like the Simpsons. I'm not sure. But I still believe that this is God's design that he has for us to raise our kids. In the family of God, and that we are all in this together. Right in the very beginning of the book, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, God says this It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. Right from the very beginning, man should not be alone, I will give him a helper, not a slave, not a master, but a helper. A partner, one that will work alongside of him as they build this together. This is God's design for the family. This is God's blueprint. And then in verse 24, God says this that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now I realize that because of choice and because of circumstances that there are families that look a whole lot different than other families. But I still believe this is God's design. Uh, This is not a blueprint that needs some sort of revision. This has been perfect from the very beginning. I also believe that as you go through the word of god you're going to find clues about what the functions of the family should be there are some things that a good family can provide that you're going to be hard pressed to find anywhere else so of course we're talking about the family home but we can also talk that these need to be functions of the church as well in god's families and all of these roles of the family should be fulfilled by the church as well. If you're taking notes, the first one there, that number one is that our families should be a sanctuary. And perhaps the first function of the home, that our home should be a place of sanctuary for our kids. It's no surprise that we call this room that we're standing in, uh, or you're, I'm standing in, you're not, but uh, you're seated in, we call this room a sanctuary, right? A sanctuary is a place of protection. It's a a place of security, of stability, and and just like a functioning family home should be. But the concept of sanctuary goes a little bit deeper. In fact, the term sanctuary uh, outdates or predates Christianity. But the church adopted it, especially in the Middle Ages. During those times... If you had committed a crime or you were scared for your life for whatever reason, you could run inside of the church and declare sanctuary. And what that meant is that the people that were coming against you or even the law could not go inside the church to get you. It was a place where you were safe. And and the church did it at this time because they believed that uh, the powers that be uh, were more concerned with the punishment of the crime than they were for the reconciliation or the reform of the sinner. And so they wanted to give that person a chance a a safe place where they could come and and to regroup a safe place where they might even buy themselves time and negotiate something with the family or the accuser and it's fitting right the church sanctuary should be that for us today not just you know for criminals to run inside here and stay away from the police but for sinners to come and receive grace and receive forgiveness and so we should ask ourselves is my home a sanctuary Is it a place where people can come for protection and security and stability? Is it a a place of grace? Is it a place of forgiveness? Is our home a place where people can come and, and wait out the trials of life that they know that this is a safe place for them to be? Just a place to regroup and get their bearings. Is your home that sort of place? See, when the storms of life come, is our home a sanctuary. And there's different storms that all of us face, all of our families face. And uh, if you're writing these down, that letter A is change. Life throws so much change at us all the time, doesn't it? Our family is on this uh, season of change right now. Our oldest Isaiah has graduated from high school. Uh, But that's not the only change that families go through, right? Uh, I've counseled uh, people even this week. I've talked to people. uh, We go through sickness and financial troubles. We might go through bankruptcy. There's new births. There's recent deaths. And all of these are changes where the family home should be the place where we can come and we can fall back and we can regroup and take a deep breath and gather strength from our family members and then go back out to meet a new challenge. (coughs) Wouldn't it be great parents if our kids would see our home as a place to say, hey, mom, dad, you know, this, it didn't work out what I was planning on, on doing, or uh, mom, dad, I need some help. What? And they knew that the place of their home would be a place where they would receive love and grace. And that leads us to the second storm that we face in which we need a sanctuary, and that's we all go through failure. Our homes and our churches need to be a safe place where we can fail, have you heard the uh, phrase that failure is not an option? Have you heard that before? That phrase was coined, uh, actually came from the movie Apollo thirteen, and the story of the Apollo thirteen. You know the astronauts are up in uh, the uh, uh, up in space, and things are going wrong, and they're trying their best to get them back down here to uh, to the Earth. And one of the engineers in that uh, the original Apollo 13 mission was explaining the atmosphere that was in the control room in Houston. And they were trying to figure out a way to get all of those guys back down here to earth. And this is what he said in real life. He said, when bad things happened, we just calmly laid out all of our options and failure was not one of them. But in our family, failure is always an option. Uh, The home needs to be a safe place where we can fail. Guess what? The church needs to be a safe place where we could fail. Even when we're uh, met with a family member that has sinned, we should be a place of sanctuary. We should be a place of grace where they can come and admit their failure and instead of any sort of condemnation against them, they're provided a place of refuge. This is a safe place. This is a place where they can regroup and learn from their mistake and then move on. And the same thing holds true for our family homes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 say this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down no one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I use this, uh, this scripture a lot. It's one of my favorite verses to use <coughs> in weddings. And I explain that the cord of three strands is that husband and wife along with God. And that cord of three sta- strands is not quickly broken. The family Set up like that means that failure can be easily absorbed in a family that is woven together with God. And thirdly, if you're taking notes here, the family sanctuary needs to be a place where we can join together when one of us faces rejection. Every family faces rejection, don't we? Some sort of Of some sort, our home should always be a safe place where we can land. Parents, how do you act when the boyfriend breaks up with your daughter? How do you act when the girlfriend breaks up with your son? How you respond to that speaks volumes to them. Are you a sanctuary when life has thrown your family that curveball of rejection, when things didn't go as you had planned, when so-and-so didn't get the job, or when friends have let us down, or when the littles are facing the bully at school? See, we need a place of sanctuary to return to when life is hard and our home and our church should be that should be that loving and affectionate and accepting place where we value each other more than whatever we may or may not have done so ask yourselves am i making my family is my home a sanctuary at home is our church a sanctuary that safe place The second purpose of a family is to be a school. Now, I know all of our students are thinking, are you kidding me? We just got out of school, (laughs) right? Um, But a home is to be a place where we are continually learning and teaching and developing one another. Every single one of us is learning every single day, especially in a family. And when those storms come, even though I can... Comfortably predict how Carol is going to react. (laughs) She still teaches me something new every time. She teaches me how I can look at something in a different way. Or in a calmer manner. uh, To face that challenge. She teaches me about a courage that's deeper than ever before. And I know that because she is constantly growing in her faith. She's constantly spending time with Jesus. And every day I am aware that when my wife speaks to me because Jesus is part of her, it very well could be that Jesus is speaking directly to me through Carol. See, our family needs to be like that. We need to teach and to train and to uh, invest in one another. When our family moved to uh, then to our home here in Pekin, we inherited probably the best part of our home for me was a new Cub Cadet riding lawnmower. <laughs> the old previous owners just happened to leave a Cub Cadet riding lawnmower Score! That's the why we're at our house, I think. See, but I've never owned a riding lawnmower before. So, when it broke down, I said, Carol, we're just going to have to buy a new one. And she said, no. <laughs> um, I was smart enough to figure out that it needed a new belt because Isaiah and I found the old one shredded in the grass. It was a pretty, pretty good indication of what was wrong with this uh, mower. Um, but I had, I didn't have the slightest clue how to fix it. <coughs> and Isaiah was starting to mow lawns in our neighborhood that summer. And so he needed this mower fixed ASAP, right? And so our family did what families are supposed to do. And we went on YouTube <laughs> and Isaiah and I figured it out. What are we supposed to do to, to fix this lawnmower? What we did is we learned together, father and a son Learned together on just how to fix something as simple as that lawnmower. That was a specific time, but parents and, and grandparents, your kids will learn more from your family than anywhere else. And parents, grandparents, your kids are watching. They are learning how to handle situations. They're learning how to make it through life. Parents, ask yourselves. What are we training in our home? Luke 2.52 says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor, in, uh, in favor of God and men. And this is while he was back at home with Mary and Joseph. His parents would have taught him. They would have instructed him as we should. Jesus learned as we should be learning. It says that he grew in wisdom. This is Jesus' intellectual maturity. His family taught him. They challenged him. It says that he grew in stature, and that's his physical maturity. And Mary and Joseph would have provided for him. They had food on the table for him. And they did what was necessary so that Jesus could grow up physically. It says that he grew in favor with God. Now, this is his spiritual maturity, which I have to admit would probably be a little bit easier when your son is God. But nonetheless, they took him to church, right? And it says he grew in favor with men. And that's his social maturity. His relational growth. And so it takes us to where we should be training our kids in the context of family. And the first one of these is relationships. In the family we learn how to relate to one another, don't we? Remember the the family design... God's design is for a mother and a father to be in that household. And the family is the place where we are supposed to be learning how to healthily uh, interact with other people. The family is the very first male relationship a child has with dad. The family is the very first female relationship a child would have with mom. It is in the family home where we learn how to work out our problems and where we learn how to communicate with one another and learn how to forgive one another. Now, society would love to take this responsibility off of your hands. They'd love to just take care of this for you. Our broken world would love the opportunity to teach your children how to, uh, how to process their heartaches and their, their headaches of relationships. And they're going to teach them how to do it without God at all. So, parents, don't give up this power. Don't give this up. You are the voice. Whether you think it or not, you're the voice that your kids are going to listen to more than any other. So don't let social media take that opportunity from you. Mark Zuckerberg is not their dad. You are, guys. And so we need to be teaching our kids about character. It may sound uh, like a cliche, but it's true that character is more caught than taught. See, we're examples of our behavior, the behavior that we want our kids to have in our homes and within our church. Parents, as we go down that list in your notes there, lead by example, by acting with integrity. Who you are in public Who you are while you're speaking to friends or while you're here at church should be the same as when you are private in your own family home. At least if it's a good example, right? See, kids see if we treat people outside of the home differently than we treat them inside of our home. Number two is be specific with your reasoning. This is, a, this is a tough one, i got to admit. You know, explaining myself to my kids, I, I hated it when my parents would say, because I told you so, that's why, right? How many o- other parents have said that, or how many kids have heard that? And kids of all ages, we've heard that, right? Because I told you so, right? And we think that we as parents, we shouldn't have to explain ourselves, It's true, but would it hurt? Kids, this also isn't your opportunity to delay obedience until you get an explanation that might be one that you agree with, because I told you so is still a perfectly good reason for obedience, right? So when your parents say to do something, do it. Um... A phrase that my kids are tired of hearing, I'm sure, is delayed obedience is still disobedience. But parents, after that chore is done and, or after that decision is, is made, would it hurt us to sit down and explain our reasonings? No. Number three is offer examples of positive moral behaviors. Use real-life examples. Keep your eyes open. Use books or, or even movies that would help your children develop character. Point out positive behaviors. Give an explanation to your child. For example, if you see someone uh, offer their seat to an older person, explain, you know, it's kind to offer your chair to someone who needs it. We need to keep our parenting radar on all the time so that we can be recognizing and pointing out when other people have positive behaviors. And we can use those things to help teach our children. Number four is to understand that outside influences affect their character development. Concentrate on doing things like getting to know their friends. Know who their friends are. Know who they're talking to online. Encourage them to choose friends who are honest and kind and and uplifting. And it's okay to say, you know what, our family is friendly to everyone, but we are going to make sure that we choose our friends very carefully. Another area where the family has responsibility to teach about is our value system or values within your home, your, your child is going to develop a a set of values and they're going to learn so much from you. They're going to learn about love and, and money and faith and God and people and church. What you value in your family will help set the priorities for your children. Anybody here remember that old song cats in the cradle Remember that song? A lot of parents was like, "Oh, yeah, <laughs> we know that song, right?" And if you're born like before nineteen or after like nineteen, what seventy nine or so, this was a song about this little boy who wanted nothing more than to spend time with his dad, but his dad was so busy <coughs> that he had no time to spend with his son or to give him any attention. And when the boy grew up, he had taken on the value system of his father, And now, the child had no time for the dad. Did you know that there was an increase in suicides from fathers after that song came out? See I believe there were a whole lot of dads that realized that we've missed out on an opportunity to establish the system of values in our children. Moses wrote this. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And what that tells me is that teaching values as a family is going to be hard work and it's going to take repetition. We're going to have to do it over and over and over and to take our time to make sure that they get it. Teaching values is hands-on. Thirdly, (coughs) this is kind of my favorite, the purpose of of a family is to have fun, right? Have fun. See, I believe the family home should be a place where we are constantly experiencing fun, a place where we can constantly laugh. Why? Because I truly believe that God is really fun. I think he is. One of the wisest men that have ever lived, King Solomon wrote, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. So parents grandparents, as your kids are watching you, do they see you laughing when you're teaching important things like value and character? Are you having fun while doing it? See, even in school, kids get a recess every now and then, don't they? Solomon says, however many years anyone may have, let them enjoy them all. See, being a Christian parent is, is hard work, but it should also be a whole lot of fun. Don't you think? Parents, it's okay to schedule a recess. And, and I, I don't know if we have any of the administrators from the school systems here but I am giving you permission to pull them out one day, to take a day off work and just have fun because they'll learn more from you that day than they would that day in school. And if the superintendents from uh, Pekin are watching, I'm sorry, but I'll stand behind that. And lastly, a family is supposed to serve together. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15 says, You know that the household of Stephanus were first converts in Acacia. They had devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I say, I love this quick little story here where we see that Stephanus took charge and said, Hey, our family isn't just going to go to church and be a whole bunch of consumers and let them just talk to us. In church, we're not going to be afraid to get our hands dirty. And so Stephanus and his household served together as a family. I love this quote by Martin, Martin Luther King. And he said, Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. Parents... I know you want the best for for your kids. I know you'd love for your kid to be that star quarterback or to get high honors or to be the first chair in band. I know that. I know you want your kid to succeed in everything they do. Of course, we want that for our kids. We'd love for them to be noticed. But let's remember that God also says that we want them to be great. They need to serve. Teach your kids that in order to be first, they first have to become last. We need more families serving together. And I realize it's going to sound like a sales pitch here. It's not. God had this in motion a long time ago that I preached this on this particular day. But next Sunday, 1.30 p.m. is a think big service. Our kids have come up here and they have uh, proved to us that kids serve. That kids are going to be working. They're going to be at Summit on Saturday. And we have the opportunity to come together as a family at, at Summit next Sunday. There's a whole bunch of stuff that Pastor Greta needs done to that campus, our campus there in Washington. So you have time to come here to church and even go to Sunday school and grab a bite to eat and then change clothes and let's head over to Summit in Washington and serve together as a family. Across the nation we are seeing this huge exodus of people volunteering. Service organizations and churches are experiencing the uh, increased need, but yet the help is decreasing. See, we need families on the front lines volunteering together. See, if we don't teach our children how to serve one another while they're young, how are they ever going to get it as adults? So ask yourself, where is your family serving together? I want to pray for all of our families here. I know that we just had this commissioning service for our kids that are going to go and serve in in St. David and in Summit. But I want to have this commissioning prayer for our families here today. And so I know we have some of our teens and, and stuff here, but could you guys just go by your parents if they're here for just a couple moments? I want everybody to stand and give them a, just a couple moments to find your family. Make sure that you are by your family. You have permission to move around. It's right in the middle of the church, but it's okay. All right? I want all of our families to come together. Maybe your family, uh, maybe you're spread out here. This would just be an opportunity. It's okay. You can move in church. It's all right. And come together because I wanna pray for us as families. God has designed something amazing in the family, in the family of God. So let's, let's use this as an opportunity to send all of us out to make a difference in our community through the family. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your design from the very beginning of time that you have designed the family. And Lord, I know that within this room are a whole lot of different kinds of families. There's single moms or single dads, and we have moms and dads, and we have grandparents or even aunts and uncles that are raising their nieces and nephews. Whatever that family may look like, Lord, we thank you for using it. And Lord, we pray for all of our families here today, that you would use us to change our community around us. Lord, that our, pl- our home would be that place of sanctuary, that place where our kids can invite their friends, a place where our, the parents would know who was coming into the house and they would love them and show the, those kids just how loving a family could be. Use our families to do that. Lord, allow our our homes to be that place where we learn from each other. Parents, you can learn a whole lot from your kids as well. Let our homes be that place full of laughter and fun as we live life. It is fun to serve God together. And so, Lord, may your commission be upon each and every family that is represented in this church today. May we serve you well. May we do things that others are not doing because we have followed your example. That in order to be first, we have to be willing to be last. We gotta be willing to serve others. And I believe this family of PFN does an amazing job at that. Lord, help us to use this summer to have fun but also to serve. Lord, bless all of these families for our singles, for our retired empty nesters, for those parents that really wish their kids were here today but they're not. We use the example of Deb to always speak truth to our family. May your blessing be upon every family, especially the family of God, who is your church. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray and the entire family of God said together, Amen.